reading from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Before we begin, could I just invite y'all to pray with me? Heavenly Father, we look to you for wisdom because in and of ourselves we don't have any of our own. We look to you for peace because in ourselves we have none. We look to you for hope because there are so many things in this world that would cause us to give up hope. Uh, Don't let your word go forth without producing faith and hope and love. We need you and we pray that you would even speak through this center uh, to other centers that we might hear the word of truth that gives life and mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over at UAB, where I'm a campus minister, Psalm 91 has meant a lot to us this spring. We have looked at Psalm 91 as our group has been touched with cancer, as our group has been touched uh, by divorces that happened over Christmas. We've had all kinds of dangers that have touched our group this spring, and yet Psalm 91 has given us life, and it's given us a refuge and a fortress and great shelter. So I wanted to open it up to you tonight a little bit in hopes that some of the, in some of the ways that Psalm 91 has worked in my own heart and in the hearts of our students over at UAB, where I minister as an RUF campus minister, that it might minister to you as well and be helpful to you and uh, that God might even be your refuge and be your shelter in the midst of great danger. And it's those two things that I really want to look at tonight, danger and true shelter. I'm going to take a sip of water really fast. Danger and true shelter. The great thing about God's word is that it gives us space to acknowledge what's evil in the world. Where so much of our lives is like athletic competition. Where your life is basically about performance. 
What can you do? How much can you make? Look, can you get in there and do it? Because I can find somebody else that can do it if you can't. And we live so much much of our life under that pressure and under that expectation. But a big part of the good news of the gospel and of scripture is just God saying, look, I want to actually talk about the things in the world that are terrifying and that are humiliating. I want you to stop performing and producing for just a moment and consider what's awful about the world, which is actually really freeing. It says in verse 3, you can look in your bulletin, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is just a hunter. The hunter trying to uh, catch a bird so that he can eat it. It goes on in verse 3, and from the deadly pestilence. Look in verse 5, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes in noonday. Those are a lot of negative words, pestilence and destruction and hunters looking for birds. And all this, the psalmist says, we're not told who wrote it. All these things are the world in which we live. If you want to pull back the curtain and understand the world in which we actually live, this is what it's like. It's full of pestilence and hunters trying to find us. It's full of terror of the night. And there are so many terrors from which we're trying to run away. This weekend, our group had a great weekend. Um, But in the midst of our great weekend, there were so many things as the leader of our group. We spent the weekend in Fall Creek Falls, Tennessee. And so when you're leading a, um, a group you know, to drive up there, you're thinking about everything that might go wrong. Well, what if my one-year-old throws up on the car? Well, what if one of the other students throws up on the car? Well, what, there's three cars driving. What if one of these 18-year-old students, even though they're awesome drivers, what if they have a wreck? What if this? What if that? And you can think of your own life. Um, the, the, the dangers and the terrors that you spend so much emotional energy trying to run away from. I've just got to get away from this and figure out a way to avoid failure and loss and heartache and anxiety. This is terrifying. Get it away from me as fast as possible. But the scripture really wants us to consider a terror far greater than any of these circumstances. It's the terror that Adam and Eve experienced when they were in the garden. It's the terror that Israel experienced when they were sent into exile over their sin. And it's the terror of the law of God over us who are sinners. Think about the emotional energy that you you spend feeling guilty and ashamed. Terrified, really. Think about this pestilence that stalks in the darkness as the terror of your own conscience under the weight of God's law. You know you shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't have said that. And it wastes at noonday, doesn't it? And it's this terror that God wants to open up so that we can look at it. 
so that we can behold it, so that he can begin to inject the healing medicine of the gospel. It's the greatest terror, really, that we run from and that the psalmist would have been afraid of. In this psalm that God has promised to give us shelter, in order to find that shelter, we first have to realize that we're in trouble, that there's danger out there. But there's not just terrors and pestilence that we're running from, right? There's also dangers that we're even running towards. That because our minds have been affected by sin and because our hearts have been polluted, there's even danger and pestilence and these snares that it talks about that we're not just running from but that we're pursuing. These are the idols of our hearts. First and foremost, our own self-righteousness. When I'm afraid, what do we run to? We run to, well, how can I be good enough? What can I do? How can can I become a good enough person? How can I pray enough so that these things no longer happen to me? Maybe if we pray hard enough uh, and obey long enough, we just won't have any more fights with our friends or with our spouses. If we can just do enough, these things that we're terrified of will just go away. The sickness, um, the broken families that are falling apart. God, look at my righteousness. Can't, can't that save me here? Can I, can I get some credibility with you because of the things that I have done? I'm a Christian. I serve in your church and I teach Sunday school. Aren't I a good person? But isn't that terrifying as well? Living a life trying to do enough so that you can avoid danger in your life. So that you can avoid evil. Well, have you done enough? I mean, have you done enough to avoid danger? Have you done enough to avoid God's judgment in your life? That's terrifying to live that way. That will keep you up at night. But of course, there's others besides self-righteousness. There's the love of power and control. Thinking that, well, if I can just, if if, if I can do enough to to, to wrap my hands around it and to, to understand it all, then finally my family will be the way that I want it to be. Or if I can have enough power and enough control, then finally my job will be what I want it to be. Or my marriage will be what, what, what I want it to be. Or I'll, I'll finally get married. But this is ter- a terrifying way to live too, isn't it? Constantly trying to maintain power and control. Because what do you have to do to do that? You've got to bulldoze down everybody in your way who's a threat to your power and a threat to your control. And so you're constantly afraid of being out of control everywhere that you go. And it feels, it, it must feel like the pestilence that stalks in the darkness and destruction that wastes at New Where can we find shelter uh, from these things? Of course, it's not just a power and control. You can think about pleasure. When I feel afraid, where do I go for my shelter? It's these things that are just as terrifying. Um, When we feel afraid, we run to sex, or we run to alcohol, 
or we run to um, kind of not abandoning our, our family completely, but sort of avoiding them and taking you know excessive amounts of vacation to the point where the thing that we love about our life is just being away from our family or away from our spouse. So many other shelters besides the one that God has promised that we run to, aren't there? But in, in the end, they don't give us the shelter that we long for. They don't give us the shelter that will feed our souls. But instead, it's sort of like a, a worm that eats you from the inside out. These other shelters of our own righteousness and pleasure and power and control, they don't, fo- they don't follow through. They don't hold up their end of the bargain. I wanted life from you, and you didn't give it to me. And we're just on this endless feedback loop as sinners, just kind of running from one to the other. Shelter here, shelter there. Can you be my fortress? Can I, can I hide in you? But God's promise here is that there can be only one shelter. There can be only one true shelter, he says in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Don't you long for shelter? Of course, in the psalmist's time, they didn't have things like air conditioning. Um, I can't believe I just said that out loud. Of course, they didn't have air conditioning. And so the heat of the day meant a whole lot more to them. I lived in New Mexico for a couple of years, and the difference there out west between the shadow and the sun is completely different here. I mean, the sun there burns with a scorching heat. And so God is trying to remind us that, look, I've come to give you shelter from the scorching heat and from violent storms. You can remember in the Exodus story where God delivers Israel from Egypt through these plagues, and it's the weather that turns against Egypt, doesn't it? It was shelter that they needed. What God is promising here is to give us shelter. But the problem is finally that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. We're not going to get this far today, but if you look again in verse 14... Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Have you held fast to the Lord in love? Today, have you found shelter and dwelled in God who's promised to give you rest? Or have you turned to something else? And the problem is that we have. We haven't held fast to the Lord and love today the way that He has called us to. The way that someone of His stature deserves for us to find our home in God. I haven't done it. You haven't done it. How can we find shelter? How could Israel find shelter? And so God assumed that Israel would be sinners, and they sent them what? Or he sent them what? The high priests and the sacrifices. 
where God promised to cleanse Israel of their sins through the high priest and through the offering of a sacrifice. The greatest shelter in Israel was the tent of meeting, where the Holy of Holies was dwelled, where the tabernacle of God was dwelled, where not all of Israel was welcome in that shelter. Only one man. Leviticus chapter 16, on the day of atonement, Yom Yom Kippur, where the priests would go in and offer the sacrifice for the sin of the people so that all the people could vicariously dwell in the shelter of God, not through their obedience, but through the blood of the sacrifice. And the holy garments of the priest, which represented the righteousness which he needed. And this is the good news. This is, this is where the mercy of God is on full display for you and I, is that in the New Testament, Jesus comes in fulfillment of these prophecies to be our shelter. To do what that priest could never do, which was put an end to the yearly day of atonement and offer a sacrifice that would last into eternity. So that not just the high priest could enter the shelter of God, but so that all sinners could enter into the tabernacle of God. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus Christ, he took his sacrifice after he died on the cross, and he entered into heaven, where we now sit with him in the shelter of God, in the refuge of our Heavenly Father who loves us and who cares for us and treats us as his beloved sons. The shelter that God promises is, look, I sent my son to die for you, so that I might say to you, You are my beloved son. And in you, I am well pleased. This was God's confession on the mountain transfiguration in the New Testament. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is God's confession when Jesus is baptized, right? When the heavens open, the dove descends, and God says, This is my beloved son, and him I am well pleased. And this is the shelter and the refuge that he offers to us. We who don't deserve shelter, we who haven't dwelled in God like we should have, we who have not held fast to God like we should have, God says, Jesus is is able to give shelter to anyone that would come to him. Be they a really self-righteous sinner or a really gross and, you know, outwardly offensive sinner. Both totally offensive to God, whoever you are. God promises to give shelter to anyone that would come to his son who has offered the sacrifice that we need that we might enter the tent of God and walk right in to the shelter of God. And this is great power against the flesh and against the power of Satan in our lives. If you look especially in verse 3 where it says that he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The greatest hunter in all of Scripture is the evil one. We confess him every time we say that the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's the one hunting us. And what's the other name for Satan in the Scriptures? The accuser. He accuses the brethren day and night. You can't be a mother. I know what what you've done. You have no right to be a father. I know what you've done. God will never love you. I know you. 
the snares of the fowler. And it's in the midst of these that God says, no, 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 no. You're not your refuge. I'm your refuge. Not how much people love you, not how successful you are at work, not how good of a preacher you are, not how good of a father you are, not how good of a mother you are, not how um, catchable you are as a single person. Um, I am your refuge. It says in verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. And what's the other name for the Son of God in the New Testament but the Son of the Most High? The one in whom the God of David, the God of the Psalms, the God who is Most High sent, that we might truly find refuge in Jesus. And shelter in the forgiveness of our sins, not in my own righteousness, but in His. And this doesn't fit neatly on a bumper sticker. Um, Verse 3, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. The deliverance that he offers is a cross-shaped deliverance. It's a redemption that's shaped like the cross that the Christ was nailed to. It's a resurrection and a new life that we experience as we carry about in our bodies the death of Jesus. In other words, it's a deliverance that we experience here and now by faith and not by sight. And so we must always, as we bask and bathe in the light of the early morning when Jesus rose from the dead as the sun came up, as we glory in the refuge that He has promised us here and now, we do so as we experience the death of Jesus over and over again. At 2 a.m., when the baby's crying, you are dying with Jesus. Um, when you have to say no to that promotion because you know that you, you've got, you'll, you'll have to do the wrong thing to get that promotion. You've got to go die with Jesus. And this is the refuge that he promises us. A cross-shaped refuge. One where we can take our terrors and our pestilence to him. One where our terrors and our pestilence have a place to live until we die or until he gets back. And I'll end with this. This is no better exemplified but in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul, he says this about the refuge that we found in Jesus Christ and it being cross-shaped. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor, present, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, 
Jesus our Lord. The refuge that God has promised us is one where He has not promised to take us out of the arrows that fly by day or of the terror of the darkness. But He has promised to be with us in the midst of the pestilence. He has promised to be with us in the midst of the pestilence that uh, stalks in the darkness and from the destruction that wastes noonday. He has promised to send His Holy Spirit out into our hearts that we might die with Him and rise at the last day when there will be no more terror of the night. When His faithfulness will be on full display and we will walk not by faith anymore, but by sight. So, as we close tonight, I would just invite you to pray with me that we would more and more find refuge in Jesus who has won it for us. Not in ourselves, uh, not in pleasure or power or possessions, but that we might more and more um, make our, our great shelter Jesus who entered into that tent on our behalf, that we might be sheltered there under the righteousness of Christ. Would you all pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being merciful to sinners. Uh, We are so often overwhelmed. Our hearts are like glass and are easily broken. Would you open our eyes that we might see you, Lord Jesus, who already dwell in our shelter for us, in your blood and in your righteousness, that we might again and again die with you, not lose hope and not give up, uh, but that we might live there and dwell with you till we see you face to face. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.